And here comes Milwaukee Forbes, another three. Oh, no! <laughs> this is the Random Scrooge Podcast. Welcome one, welcome all to a little twofer. We gave you one earlier in the week. We're here on the back half of the week as well for a second episode of the Random Scrub Heat Podcast presented by The Basement. I am your host, LJ Cascom. That's right, I'm on for back-to-back episodes. Look at us making records and whatnot. We're joined by Hot Take Harry, the thunder from down under George. We got Bubba. If it ain't foreign, you already know what it is. And another special guest. We have Chris from Hoop Spaces. How you doing, Chris? We're so happy to have you on as we kind of look at the whole landscape of the NBA playoffs. How you doing? I'm, I'm doing great, man. I'm happy to be here. I saw the beginning uh, of basement sports, and I'm happy to be able to hop up here. Uh, I don't think you guys are scrubs, though. Like, I mean, let's be honest here, because you guys are definitely, definitely better, you know, than maybe a injured Max Struess, right? Like, let's be honest here. I know one of you up there can give me, like, one for three from deep, right? I absolutely can. I actually, I'll, I'll raise my hand and say yes. Ant on the network might have something to say about that, but you know he can kick rocks. He's not here right now. But yes, I think uh, I think any of us can go out there and give a better performance than either Max Drews or Caleb Martin gave us in that opening game. But that's neither here nor there. So, like as we mentioned, we have we're going on here about the little landscape of the NBA playoffs. Is there anything you wanna you wanna shout out real quick, Chris, before we kind of get into everything? Uh, yeah, I want to I want to shout out the NBA in general, because remember when they instituted the play in a lot of people were kind of pushing back. But look at us all now. Uh, we are engaged with the NBA uh, unlike ever before. And I think there's some entertainment factors here, uh, both on the positive and the negative side. Uh, and, and as we embark on the next path of the NBA with the uh, in-season tournament, I want everybody to remember that this is all about making money. Uh, this play-in is has worked. It's actually reinvigorated the playoffs entirely, and it's here to stay, and we should enjoy it. So, you know, we, we need to give credit where credit is due. Uh, the team over there did great. Good job. And I've got some choice words for the in-season tournament, but I'll save that for the offseason. <laughs> no one wants to hear about that right now. We're talking about the play-in, which is legitimately has been pretty good. It has been kind of sad, honestly, that uh, the Miami Heat game was the only – play-in game that was kind of kind of cheeks. But that's okay because today is Thursday, April 13th, and the Miami Heat are dead. Everyone just give a quick moment of silence. They are dead, technically, because they, they're basically just a dead man walking, as my name suggests. Um, they got the doors blown off them by the Atlanta Hawks, a game that we, me and Harry were talking with Jeremy on earlier in the week that th- it was a massively important game for them if they wanted to make any kind of noise in the playoffs, right? Because of the Jalen Brown hand injury with the Celtics, as we mentioned earlier in the week again. But you see, the thing is, all of us thought that there was some significance to that Hawks game. The players didn't seem to think so, as evident by their effort within the opening minutes. Kyle Lowry gave you his best game in a Heat jersey, and you lost by double digits. If that's not the big red button blinking to blow it up, I don't know what is. I think things are going to be very, very different in the offseason. Uh, because now they're fa- they're facing the the, uh, the Chicago Bulls. I was ready to say the Toronto Raptors because they looked like the better team for most of that game last night until DeMar DeRozan's daughter just decided to go nuclear and, and win MVP of the entire plan because that girl had some serious cojones. I mean, she she dictated that free throw line 
What, what were your takeaways from that, Chris? Just the fact that the whole game kind of switched in, in a, what, it was a two or three point loss for the, the Raptors where they missed 18 free throws. Do you think uh, DeRozan's daughter had a significant impact? Yeah, nah. Nah, not really. Like maybe on one, maybe. Like, so, so like if you've, if you've played in a packed stadium, like sound is omnidirectional, but you can, hear obviously what someone is intending to do but players generally tune 99% of that out at the free throw line but they you, definitely you, do as someone like anyone who's played knows like I used to play all the time in high school and my mom would be in the stand saying like after the game she's like hey did you hear me screaming I'm like no I didn't hear no. anything it's like, you can't hear anything <laughs> when you're out there it's just it's a really funny storyline that just kind of like grew at, with every missed free throw the crew would pan to her and you'd be like all right well, there's something weird going on here but I, I think we're all kind of in the same boat here thinking can, that uh the heat should probably lose can i be devil's advocate for a second i think i think uh DeRozan's daughter had a massive impact i was watching her technique um she was timing the screams <laughs> perfectly um because it's really important people scream too early people scream too late um, she had that down pat. The Raptors were at home. They were up pretty big. I think it was like 15 at halftime. Um, and they choked. The ref screwed up and gave um, Pascal the three free throws, even though it probably shouldn't have been three. And he still choked. So I think you got to give her credit. Uh, I actually think it was kind of crazy that DeRozan said she's, he's not bringing her to Miami because uh, whether you believe in that stuff or not, luck and this or that, like if my daughter is at the arena and the other team misses half of their free throws, She's coming with me to the next game. Uh, I'm riding it, man. Like it's all good. You let whatever if you believe. I don't know if you guys are very superstitious if you believe in that stuff, but something weird happened, and I would keep going for it. And I'd like her to be in Miami simply because, uh, as you were saying, LJ, I I'm done with this Heat team. Uh, I thought we talked about it. We talked with Jeremy Taché, who's a great guy, super optimistic. He really. We all kind of thought. Hey, they got a chance. Um, they're going to come out and beat the beat the brakes off this Hawks team, and it was the exact opposite. Um, and so we're all kind of hoping for the lottery pick. Those four to six spots in the draft could be uh, much bigger than people are anticipating. And th this is a good draft. There's a lot of talent, and I think the Heat should take advantage of it. There's absolutely no reason for them to win this game on Friday, go up to Milwaukee two days later. And Giannis is just going to eat, man, and he's going to eat a lot, and I don't want to see it. I don't want it anymore. Uh, if we want to beat Giannis and the Bucks, we need to come back with many, many more reinforcements next season. Well, you see, it's funny you bring up Giannis and the Bucks because the Heat lost to the Hawks because of one reason and one reason only, that being rebounding. Luckily for Miami, uh, Milwaukee's a horrible rebounding team. Right? Oh, wait, they have Brooke Lopez. Oh, wait, they have Giannis. Oh wait, they have they're one of the biggest tallest teams in the NBA and they can rebound. Well, I think uh the the chore list for Miami is pretty short when you look at what they need to do against Chicago. You need to lose because as you said, we talked in the pregame or in the pre-show about it. The difference between the 14th pick and the 20th pick as you just said is 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 big, especially in a draft this deep. The 14th pick in this draft in a normal draft, you can make the argument is for value-wise is like a top 10 pick. You don't want to squander that for an opportunity to just get clapped in Milwaukee. I don't. I think the decision making process. I don't, is very I don't easy. think you necessarily get clapped in Milwaukee. I I think we do. 
I don't agree with that. I, I, I think the Heat match up well, uh, specifically if Chris Middleton and Grayson Allen aren't healthy. Like Milwaukee shrinks down to a, a two-man offensive team. It, it's Giannis uh, who will rush you, and it's Drew Holiday with the rest of the, the offense of Milwaukee. And that makes Bobby Portis their, their de facto, and he already really is their de facto six-man and, and number three option uh, most nights when Chris Middleton isn't healthy. Like, you put a healthy Miami team against an unhealthy Milwaukee team, you 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 get traction, right? Jimmy's not – no one other than Giannis on Milwaukee will be able to stop Jimmy. So if you end up making that a push, that's a win for Miami, right? Because that makes it Ty, uh, Tyler Hero and Bam Adebayo versus Drew Holiday. And if you can't capitalize on that, if Bam isn't better – than Bobby Portis or Brooke Lopez, if Tyler Hero isn't better than Joe Ingles or Javon Carter, like th- they have a shot here to beat Milwaukee. More so than I think they had a shot against Boston, who's just deeper and will continue to run bodies at you. That's 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 why I think they're going to win and beat Chicago because they view they can beat. Chicago, like, was it disinterest or was it targeted coaching saying, let's just go out there and do stuff? I think that the only, I would agree with you only on one specific point about the Milwaukee matchup is Bam has looked very comfortable against Brooke all season. That was a big bugaboo for him in previously in his career. So in the event that they win against Chicago, I would about the only thing I'd look forward to is seeing Bam continue that development because he hasn't looked good for uh, over a month now. I think that would be a good, like get right series for him to potentially remind everyone what he's capable of, but let's move on now. Let's see. Uh, let's talk about the six uh, the Sixers and the Nets just staying in the East here. What, what are your, ta- what's your take on the Sixers and the Nets? Do you feel that uh, the Sixers are just going to be able to just stomp over the Nets and, and what was, what did uh, Kuzma call Dinwiddie? Do you, do, you, do you recall what, what Kuzma called him? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I do. I, I, I want to say, like, when, when I was asked, I said uh, Sixers and five, right? Gentlemen sweep. Uh, partly because I, I do think Brooklyn can come out and steal game one. Uh, Philadelphia is notorious, slow starting in the playoffs. Uh, they can get caught up in game one, especially if Tyrese Maxey doesn't have a good game, Right. Um, but if you look at Brooklyn since the KD trade, they have a below 500 record. They don't really have anybody outside of Macau Bridges who is really affecting, you know, consistently offensively. Their next best offensive player is Spencer Dinwiddie, followed by maybe Cam Johnson. But, like, that's just not going to be enough. Uh, to be able to to keep up with even an 85% James Harden and likely your MVP in Joel Embiid, let alone Tobias Harris and Tyrese Maxey, you know, adding in extra, you know, points. So I, I think it's a comfortable series, but I will say that I'm not expecting major blowouts. I'm, I'm expecting Brooklyn to be extremely professional. And, and I see like a lot of 113, 105, 109, 102 type wins for Philadelphia, unless Claxton gets in foul trouble. And if Claxton gets in foul trouble, watch out. 
because you could see Joel Embiid with 20 free throws by halftime. And if that happens, then the Sixers are, are blowing them out. I will say, too, just before I let the other guys jump in on series that they want to talk about, you, you brought up that you can think that the Nets could steal game one. And I agree because th- for this reason in particular, this exact matchup is giving me huge flashbacks to when it was like the baby Sixers with, when Simmons was still there and they played the revamped net squad that had D'Angelo Russell and everything, probably in like the same matchup that we're getting this year. Only you swap out D'Angelo Russell for Mikael Bridges. And I'm the way that that Brooklyn team stole a game from the, uh, from the Sixers early on. I think you can see that again in this exact series, but then Philadelphia's experience just kind of overwhelms that rebuilt Nets team that was rebuilt on the fly. And as you said, as a negative record, I think they're 11 and 13 uh, after all those trades. So what, what other what other uh, matchup are you guys looking at in particular kind of draws interest for you? George, let's hear from you. Yeah, I look at the um, – I was saying the East as well. The Cavs and the Knicks record, uh, the series. It's actually the first opportunity we're going to see if the Knicks actually have anything with this foundation that they're trying to build. It's um, acquiring Jalen Brunson seems to have done wonders for them. Not in the win category, it's more in the fact that they look – way more competitive in, in most of the games they've played this year, which is, um, it's, I, I, I don't like to watch the, I don't like the Knicks. I don't like to see them do well, but it's, it's good for the NBA. It's good for basketball when the Knicks do do well. Um, but I want to see what the Cavs can offer. I think it's a, a Cavs in six series. Um, I mean, you know, actually Cavs in five, but that's just what I think. I, I don't know if the Knicks are going to be competitive against such good um, two of the best guards in the East and and see if they can actually do anything there. But if they can do something, the Knicks, it just goes further into their, you know, into their ability to try and attract a, a free agent, a real free agent. I, I think Brunson was a nice piece to add, but I think he's more of like that third option that you need. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing if Randall can can step up and actually do something against this Cavs team who's looked pretty pretty great all season, really, with a 51-win team after acquiring Donovan Mitchell. And who would have thought Donovan Mitchell is uh, on a fourth-seeded Cavs team that is built well. It must be nice. It must feel nice <laughs> to be on a team built really well. And he's just he just slotted right in. So look, I still think Cavs are going to, beat the crap out of them but who knows what's gonna happen there chris who do you think in this in this series has the i'm kind of interested actually in the coaching matchup Cavs knicks because um i'm not a big thibodeau guy and i kind of think uh he has the issue where he's always uh playing his team a little too much during the regular season where they kind of come out a little bit slower in the regular season uh, in the postseason because they played so many minutes and then jb bickerstaff uh for the Cavs, who um Cavs fans seem to like him, at least from the Cavs fan I talked to online. Um, I think he's an okay coach. I'm wondering what you think. Who has the edge in, the, in this matchup, and, and what are your predictions for this Cavs-Knicks uh, series? Um, a, lot, a lot of people dis- discount uh, the Knicks, and uh, I remember with the, Ju- uh, the, the pickup of Jalen Brunson, um, I said this will put Julius Randle in the, in the position that will allow him to get back to that all-NBA form. Um, I, the problem is, is Julius Randle is just not healthy. Like, he just started practicing, but he hasn't been cleared for contact. 
right? So you're already going into this series with your best player. Maybe by the time he gets back in the series starts at 80%, 85%. And, and that's going to make it more difficult. But prior to that, I actually had New York winning this matchup. Uh, defense travels, rebounding travels, and believe it or not, like Cleveland's success isn't as great as a lot of people think. They were very one-sided. They were heavy-handed at home. They were 31-10. and 10. Uh, They actually had a below 500. They were 20-21 and 21 on the road, right? New York travels better than they play at home. And if they went in and they took one at Cleveland, I don't know necessarily if Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland would be enough. Uh, and I also said this, the one thing that worries me most about Cleveland is they're not going to be their best version of themselves until they play through Evan Mobley primarily on offense, right? Jared Allen is never going to be an offensive center, right? We understand this. But if Evan Mobley can't develop an inside game, then all it really comes down to is, is Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland going to hit enough three-pointers that night? And the New York Knicks will be able to stop Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland if Evan Mobley can't score. They have the bodies. Uh, Manuel quickly is a good defensive player. Josh Hart is a good defensive player. Miles McBride is a good defensive player. And Quentin Grimes is probably better than all three of them, right? So you're, you're going to be able to run the bodies at them. You're going to be able to, to knock off enough shots. But the problem is that's only working if Julius Randle is there giving you 24, 10, and 5. And I don't think that's going to happen now. So prior to the injury, I was leaning to New York. Now I have Cleveland in six. I think that's a fair point to be to make as well because the, the injury is something definitely to take into consideration. But even without it, I, I think I would still kind of lean more towards the Cavs in seven without the injury. I think six is a fair guess even with it. I think that Cleveland's interior defense is going to give Randall a lot of issues. That's just what I see. And I see Donovan Mitchell as not, I mean, you can't really call it a revenge type of situation there, but I definitely think he's going to be giving them the work just because they were reluctant to trade RJ Barrett for him. And I think that's something that's going to eat at him. I expect, like you said, though, I, I, I expect Mitchell to give them the work pretty much the entire time. I think Brunson will probably get his numbers too, just because I don't think Randall's going to be able to get much going. Is that me being logistical or is that me being a Julius Randall hater? I'll let you decide. <laughs> um, that's just where I stand on it. Harry, I saw you wanted to jump in as well. Yeah, I think it's a lot about um, can Brunson get into the paint effectively and um, kind of cause havoc when he's there. And I think that's kind of a tough matchup against the bigs of Cleveland. And Chris, you mentioned Mobley kind of his interior game. So I went to the Heat-Cavs game where they where they won on like a Friday night. It was one of the games they played back-to-back where the Cavs took the first one and the Heat took the second. Um, my issue with Mobley is that he takes a lot of outside shots and he's not a good outside shooter. So I think his game and his career is really going to transition on like, can he consistently hit that three ball? That's going to change his whole, um, directory of his career as an offensive player to me. Um, yeah, he's, he's been told to stretch because Jared Allen is not it for that. Yeah. And so that's, I don't know. I, 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 I'm going to, I try not to be biased when I view this stuff. Cause I, you know, I, the Knicks are my least favorite team in basketball. <laughs> um, and while I've watched a lot of the games and they've had a really good year, I think you're absolutely right. The Randall injury doesn't help them. Um, I think RJ Barrett's a tough, like a tough guy to, to depend on in the playoffs because 
Um, he's not a really efficient shooter or scorer, and the you know the game gets smaller. The half court offense becomes much more important in the postseason, and so I worry about um, you know what he can do against uh, a pretty good uh, Cavs defensive team. So I also think the Cavs are going to win. I think six is a pretty fair uh, number. I think it could be less, um, and. There's going to be a lot of sad, sad Nick fans because I remember that video they came out when they were like 39 and 27. The guy looked like he, um, you know, the the worldwide uh, wobe. He was very excited about being 12 games <laughs> over 500. So, I, I, you know, for his sake, I hope they win, but I, I don't think they're going to. Um, I, I have an answer for your coaching question. I, I think um, the, the issue is there's there is less creativity with Tom Thibodeau. He just doesn't have – either in his coaching acumen or the roster to be creative. So when it says, is there a coaching advantage, it's really subjective, but because there isn't so many changes within New York structure, that kind of tends to aid well for New York. Whereas JB Bickerstaff has had to consistently tinker with his lineup, uh, specifically because of Isaac Okoro, Carousel Verdeniaggi, and, and others who they're they're trying to fill a hole because there's a hole in the roster. Um, and when you have to say that we're going to play Lamar Stevens for 37 minutes because you have that hole, like again, Cleveland is is good. Uh, but it takes really Evan Mobley getting you five, six assists for Cleveland to really be scary. That's that's and that's why I, you know I kind of lean to New York until the injury. But when it comes to coaching advantage, the the stability Tom Thibodeau's had, you probably bank on Tom. All right. Well, let's. I think if it's okay with you, um, we're gonna completely <laughs> skip over the Celtics Hawks series. I don't think that's gonna, <laughs> I don't think that's gonna be a very long one. Um, the Celtics kind of have all of the wings that can give Trey Young a lot of trouble. And, um, you know, they've been a team they've, you know, the second half of the season hasn't been amazing for the Celtics, but they're kind of a team built for playoff basketball. And I just don't, I think they're very happy that the Hawks won that game. Uh, and I think we're talking about four or five games max. I don't think we're going to get, unless you, if you disagree with me, let me know. Otherwise I think we might just skip that one. Uh, well, it, we we can skip it. I think um, I, I think if the Hawks hit fifty percent of their threes, they're likely to win. I just don't see them doing that for four games. So. I think that yeah, just so we're on record and people don't get angry at us for not giving a prediction for every series, I'll say Celtics in five, and I'll give. I think Trey Young will go just fucking stupid in one of those games in Atlanta. I think just one of them. I think it works. He hits everything, and then you're looking at, oh, well, you know, they, they put up a little bit of a fight, but then Boston – we're on a collision course for Milwaukee and Boston, in my opinion. I, I don't feel like there, there's much parity there. But there is a lot of parity on the west side. And I'll, I'll toss it to Alex over here to talk about a series that he wants to talk to on the west side because I feel like it's just more the, – the best teams aren't in the west, in my opinion, but the more fun teams are in the west. 100%. I think the Western Conference, for at least in the first round, I think the Western Conference matchups are way more entertaining. So I definitely want to talk about Lakers-Memphis at some point, but maybe we'll save that for the end because I want to kind of throw a curveball at y'all. Maybe I sound like an idiot if they lose, obviously, on Friday. And no, I'm not talking about the Heat, who hopefully will lose on Friday. I'm talking about the Oklahoma City Thunder. I like this team a lot. Like, Giddy is so underrated. And in my opinion, like, if people think Tyler Hero is good, go watch Josh Giddy, bro. Like, you, you're looking at the wrong white kid, bro. You're looking at the wrong one. That is the dude that you want on your team. That man went for 31-10-9 and 
in his first taste. I know it doesn't count because it's that weird play-in statistic or whatever. But in his first taste of like postseason action, he went crazy. SGA had seven points in the first half and then somehow finished with 32. Like, and that man plays both ends of the floor. That team, Sam Presti, how all these big organizations who are looking for a general manager every year, having given that man a blank check in two houses and a Ferrari is crazy to me because he is obviously in one of the worst markets in the NBA turning in town over each year. That's enough about the Oklahoma City Thunder, who I'll start a podcast on in two years or something when they're winning championships. If and when they win on Friday, I am not convinced. I'm not saying they're going to beat the Nuggets in the first round because they're not. I am not convinced that, that series won't go six or seven games, though. 100%. I don't trust the Nuggets defense. I don't trust them in big moments. I think SGA is better than Murray. I think Giddy, if he does anything that he did last night consistently at picking defenses apart, that team's going to score a lot of points and they have some wing defenders there, man. I, I'm i not saying it could happen, but I, I, I think it could go seven games. But watch them lose Friday now to Minnesota that I said that. I will just say that... Um... So I did actually watch some of that game last night. I'm not, a, you know, I haven't watched a ton of Thunder Pelicans basketball this year. Um, Lou Dort was all over the court defensively. That guy is an elite defender. Um, he's a really good player. So I guess the questions we're going to pose to you, Chris, are who do you like in tomorrow night's game between the Thunder and the Wolves? And depending on who wins, can either one of those teams give the Nuggets trouble in this first round series? Um. So you should have been on my show this morning. I look, I I have already said um, I am on the Team Giddy over Team SGA uh, bandwagon here. It's not. Uh, it's, it's readily apparent they play two separate positions. Um, one plays a a two way uh, phenomenal player who uses athleticism and, and ISO uh, to high degrees of efficiency. The other one plays. Uh, better in a team construct. And that's kind of what makes that duality work, right? Um, the issue when we talk about OKC is that they're just simply not ready. They don't have the team. If they go up against Denver, could they push it to six or seven? Well, anything is possible. But right now they're starting a rookie who's 6'9", 240 pounds at center, and a rookie who's 6'6", a buck 95, a power forward. How many fouls are you going to give them in the first quarter when they just force feed Jokic? Like they, I mean, like say what we want about Jokic, the man is is, is dominant, and just because they haven't had playoff success against the likes of the Warriors doesn't mean that they're not going to wipe the floor with the six foot nine, two hundred forty rookie center guarding a two time MVP, right? And although SGA is probably better than Jamal Murray, especially when you take into account rebounding in two way, right? All Jamal all Jamal Murray needs to do is hit fourteen or eighteen points. We've seen this happen, right? the The best thing about Denver is Jokic allows them to spread the floor, and he dictates it. And if you can't stop them, you got to stop the shooters. They just don't have it yet. Um, Minnesota is different. Like, Minnesota really is different. And if Carl Anthony Towns doesn't miss, you know, more than half the season, Minnesota's likely just behind Sacramento with 47 or 48 wins, right? And if we're looking at Minnesota as a healthy Minnesota who has 46, 47, 48 wins, that's a team that you have to actually kind of take 
you know, notice of. And Carl Anthony Towns for his lack of defense is just as versatile offensively. Anthony Edwards also probably, in my opinion, likely better than Jamal Murray. I would uh, probably also weigh more in on the bench that Minnesota has uh, and their defense. So I think if Minnesota does win, Denver could be looking at an upset. I just uh, I, I would love to see it too. It would be so uh, ironic as they were the first ones who knocked eight one, and then they would get knocked off. It'd be cool. I also think I don't trust Jamal Murray as far as I can throw him, I, unless it's in the bubble. I don't think he can do anything. <laughs> and when it comes to the playoffs, we've seen it time and time again. I'm glad he's healthy again. Don't get me wrong. I don't trust but... Michael Porter Jr. in a big moment to hit a big three either. Like I just I look at Giddy and SGA as like I I think that's the one of the best backcourts in the NBA already. Like that you have a great point though, because Jokic is absolutely gonna tear them up. Like I'm probably downplaying that a little bit too much, how small they actually are. Like Jokic will walk in there and get a 30 point triple double every game. I mean, it it would be ridiculous. But I don't know. I just the dynamic that SGA and Giddy have, you brought it up, Chris, is just, it's so perfect. Like, you're to, you're totally right. They're completely different types of player. Giddy is way more set on the system and moving the ball around and finding the right guy, while SGA will kind of ISO and just take over from there. But I don't know. It's just so much fun to watch. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I just I just don't see how they beat Jokic. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think th- no matter who gets matched up with the Nuggets in round one, I think – the Nuggets move on around two, but I think that's where their season likely ends no matter what, because they have the number one seed in the West is what they are, yet they'd only be the number four seed in the East. So I don't, you know, it's, it's just like the trust meter. And also if they don't get upset in round one, I think they lose in round two because this very next reason of who we're about to talk about, either the Suns or the Clippers. Chris, how do you feel about either of those teams in that matchup? Because I feel like that's one of the most dead even in my opinion, matchups we're looking at, if healthy, if healthy, and that's a big if. Uh, I would I would say that the the biggest problem the league has is not knowing what Phoenix is. Like there just wasn't enough time. But I would also tell people that if you look uh, in the NBA, everything is cyclical, and if this doesn't smell like Toronto and Kawhi all over again, I I, I don't know what to tell you. Um, you walk into Phoenix, you, you still have Monty Williams's core structure. Uh, you have a point guard whose only sole care is to get other people the ball, you know, 90% of the time. And Chris Paul, you got a good pick and roll center. And, and like, they only really traded Mikhail Bridges, y'all. Okay. And they brought back Kevin Durant. Understand that. Like, I love Mikhail Bridges. Philly never should have traded him. But one is Kevin Durant. And, and if um, his game is as good as we all think it is in terms of, quote, legacy, like you have to like Phoenix's chances more than, than the Clippers who've had to rely on some combination of uh, Reggie Jackson, John Wall, Russell Westbrook, Brandon Boston Jr., you know, snafty. Those names, yeah. No, those are all household names you're talking about. How could you not feel confidence in them, right? Exactly. <laughs> I, George, George wanted mad. to jump back in and give some flowers to one of his favorite players in the entire league. George, here, here's your opportunity. The stage is yours. Alger, how dare you skip over me when we speak about Josh Giddy? Because when Ben Simmons came into the league, the entire of my country rejoiced and said, we have the big one. We have 
the next, you know, big thing. He was supposed to set the league alight and then set alight his entire contract and everything that made Ben Simmons good. But the real man that they should have looked to was Josh Giddy. He saved a country of international basketball fans. And is we have for a long time been, you know, the chubby cootie couldn't get in and just been at the window looking at <laughs> watching the game from afar. But Josh Giddy was is our way in. He is everything. Like when you look at Australians, you you look at Josh Giddy. He is just overly Aussie and coming out of St. Kevin's as well. Um, a school not too far from me, but he, he just, he brings such a, like a different aspect to the game. He's, he's his tall guard, not really the best of shooters, but that will fix itself coming in the you know coming years. But I just want to look at that Thunder team like, like real quick and just reflect again. They're about to get Chet back next year. Like that's already one piece. Like you're already like it looks like you're like requiring one piece. Hopefully he's he's healthy. It can stay healthy, but that's your power forward for the future. Maybe even center. If you can go get your you know franchise center in Wembenyama, because they look, let's face it, they've got like 50, they've got fifteen picks in the next four drafts. First round picks, fifteen first round picks. If you can't get that one, that, that, that very first pick to get Wembenyama, I don't know what you're doing. Get no, man, no one, no one, no one's giving up that yeah, pick, George. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. tell you right now, you I would, I would guess the first two picks are basically untouchable. Both those guys, I think, are going to be franchise cornerstones. I don't think Wembenyama or Scoot uh, are going to. Let me, Brandon let, Mills let, me let me tell you, let me tell you what a scout said. Like literally this week, said it. Whoever gets the number one pick will be fired as a GM, either because you failed at building around Victor Webinyama or because you failed to draft Webinyama. There is no other thing. That is it. You will get fired because either you failed to build around them or you traded and didn't draft them. That's how big of a prospect Victor is. But I agree the Thunder with you. should trade for somebody, not to bring it back to the Heat. The Thunder should trade for Jimmy Butler. <laughs> Alex said it and then dropped the mic and said, "You guys discuss that." You imagine I'm going to put that inkling and then you talk about it. Lou Dort backing up Jimmy Butler. I'm in my Sheltman bag. <laughs> the Dorcher Chamber and Jimmy Butler would be would be absolutely insanity. That would be George, amazing. I am happy for you though that you do have you know after you. You watched Ben Simmons light on fire like an Australian wildfire, and then you had to deal with – then you get Josh Giddy. Just absolutely incredible turns of fate. I'm going to be honest, though. For me personally, I've never been in that position where I've been like, oh, there's no Australian sportsman in, in the NBA. I'm Greek through and through, and we've had Giannis – for out for the, the better part of the last like you're five, you're a fraud, George. So I'm not a, <laughs> in my first language. It was my first language. I live there. I'm 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 Greek. All right. That's it. All We've right. had so, all right. I'm, so I'm you're, you're discounting. You're discounting Aaron Baines, Matthew Delvadova, Patty Mills, Luke Longry, and Andrew Bogut. Yeah. How dare you pass over Matthew put Delvadova? Joe Ingles, put respect on Joe Ingles' name right now. That is the man that should be at the top of that list. Aaron Baines. <laughs> all right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to get this this pod back on 
on track. George, we appreciate uh, we we do like Josh Gideon. We I think we like Australia for the most part, but um, yeah, we're just gonna. I want to go back. I want to go back to the Suns a little a bit. Trash. The Suns are uh, Chris. The Suns are actually my pick to come out of the West. Um, I think if healthy, they've been. Re- I mean, it's a very. It's been a small sample size, but they've been really excellent when KD plays. Um, he's kind of been the perfect fit for their offense. And I don't really see the Clippers giving them much of um, much of a test, especially with uh, Paul George's injury. Uh, is there anything that would change your mind, obviously, besides an injury, that the Suns aren't coming out of that series uh, looking pretty no. good? No, I, 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 I mean, unless we give vintage Brody, I don't, I don't see Kawhi being enough. Like I just, Paul George is just not going to be healthy enough to really, I think, like what he gives you maybe one game that's really, really good. If he rushes this back, you could miss him for the remainder of the playoffs. So, no. Well, no, I, I think you're probably right. That's why the Suns are my pick too to make it out of the West if they can manage not have KD slip during warmups. I think they should be okay. But now I want to get to my favorite first round matchup just because they literally have not been there since 2006. It's the Sacramento Kings. Almost almost like poetry that they would face against the, the Warriors, cross-town rivalries. I think it just works well. I, I probably think the Warriors' experience is probably enough to overcome them, but you can't really discount what Sabonis and Fox and all them have done over there this season. It's been incredible. You know, they, they, they got absolutely destroyed on social media and dragged throughout the league for trading Halliburton away for Sabonis. And what do they do? Well, they snap their, their the longest playoff drought and, and win 48 games, become a top three seed, get home court in the first round against the defending champions. I mean, enough can't be said about the path they took to get here. But, Chris, I want to ask you, does that path end abruptly? You know, I, I've gone back and forth. Um, my biggest issue is the issue with Golden State more so than Sacramento. I've argued with some Golden State fans. The truth is dynasties end before you know it, right? You live through the tail end of the dynasty thinking you're in the dynasty, but the dynasty in the actual event is already over. And what you're seeing is the crumbling after people start realizing the dynasty is over. And and I picked the Golden State Warriors to win last year in the beginning of the season and never wavered. Uh, this year is different, and it's more so the league is kind of caught up more. There isn't the same fear in facing the Warriors. Uh, but the issue with Sacramento is, though they had a great season and they ended their, their playoff drought in 16 years, of which I used to live in Sacramento. So I, I went to Arco Arena. I Sorry. saw how bad they got. Yeah. It's um, there's there's just one issue, is they cannot stop anybody. You do like I love the fact that they have statistically the greatest offense in the history of the NBA. That'll be broken, like that'll that's what it's designed to be. They can't stop no one, and that's the problem. And if it ends abruptly, it isn't because they're not scoring because they're going to score. It's because they can't stop Golden State. Golden State catches on fire. And by the way, if they were to win a championship, 
I guarantee you they will all say it's because we played Sacramento first. And it's not a knock on Sacramento other than the fact that they can't stop anybody. Golden State gets hot playing the worst defense in the playoffs. Nobody can then stop a hot Golden State. That's a possibility. Yeah, I think, you know, I think the Warriors is going to be a lot of, I believe the owner came out the other day and said that Wiggins is going to be back. Obviously, like, he's a huge X factor for that team because um, he's arguably probably at this stage of his career, uh, one of their top two defenders on the team. So he's incredibly important um, for them being able to stop other guys. And I just don't think we can discount Steph Curry yet. I know there's been a lot going on with that team, starting with them. Um, you know, Draymond punching his teammate before the season started. There's been, uh, Chris, you made a good point about kind of watching Dynasty's end. As Heat fans, we kind of all saw it happen in 2014 where, you know, LeBron got us to the finals, but everything else was falling apart around him. Wade's knee wasn't so good. Um, the rest of the team got old overnight. Ray Allen, Shane Battier, and just when we got up against a team that had everything kind of ended really fast, and that was it. It was over. Um and that can happen, right? I think the Warriors will have to make a decision in the offseason. And that'll be very interesting because he's obviously been a key cog in their entire finals run. Um, but I agree with you. I like the Warriors against the the Kings. I feel bad because I, as a objective fan just watching, I, I kind of would like them to win. I think that'd be a cool story for them and the city and their fans because so long since they've been in the postseason, and everything's gone well for them since they put that arena on the uh, that laser on the top of their arena. Light the really beam, the, the beam, light the beam. Um, so I think that I think that would be a cool story. I wouldn't be that upset if the Warriors lost, even though I did put ten dollars on them in Vegas to win the whole thing a few months ago. So what were those odds? Uh, good enough where it was worth it. <laughs> <laughs> worth the $10, $10 investment. Worth, yeah, worth the $10 I wanted poker to throw it on the Warriors. Um, but yeah, I kind of, I agree with you. I think the Warriors are, are going to win it. And uh, I hope they, look, I like this Kings team. I hope they come back. Mike Brown's going to be coach of the year. And, um, you know, hopefully they could bring in some wings to help them defend. Cause that's going to be the next evolution for the Kings. They got to find some people that can play defense. Cause it's probably not going to be good enough this season. Agreed fully. And then I'll toss to Alex for our final matchup here as we kind of come to a close. What You said you had a curveball for us. Did we already have that or you're still waiting on the mound with that curveball, Alex? Well, the cur- the curveball was my whole thing on the Thunder and like maybe them giving uh, the Thunder a little bit of hell. But I do want to talk about this Lakers-Memphis series because it's obviously going to get a lot of the ratings because of the Lakers, obviously. But I just also want, Chris, your take on this Lakers team overall, how far they can go. Um, in addition, I'll give my thoughts on this series real quick. I think the Lakers will win this series. I think it's going six or seven, but I think they will win this one. I think this has the potential to be the best series of the first round. Besides, I think Suns Clippers could be, you know, y'all were talking about it, especially if PG can somehow figure a way to play. That's going to be electric. But um, the beef, obviously, going back to Shannon Sharp stuff. The late, you know, the Lakers have had drama all year. The Grizzlies have had drama all year. I, I think it goes down to the wire, and I think the Lakers take care of business on the backs of LeBron and AD. But I don't know, Chris. I want your thoughts on this series, and um, honestly, how far the Lakers can go with this kind of new revamp roster since the trade deadline. Uh, we'll we'll give the podcast listeners some one hour old breaking news here. Uh, John Moran has countersued uh, the teenager uh, who who you know 
he said punch, he punched him and stuff. I mean, it's all part of this John Morant drama thing. So the biggest question is, is John Morant's mind even on the series? Like, he's got so much going on right now. Uh, and, and my guess is yes. Uh, the, the issue that I have is, like, I don't really trust the Los Angeles Lakers. I, I, like, LeBron is LeBron, but he's 38. Anthony Davis is AD only when he's not hurt. But the issue isn't even those two. The issue is who's your third guy? Because on one night, it's D'Angelo Russell. And then on 10 nights, he's nowhere to be seen. On one night, it's Malik Beasley, who gives you 11 three-pointers. And the other night, he's nowhere to be seen. Uh, Lonnie Walker's basically fallen off of the earth. Troy Brown Jr., Winyan Gabriel, Dennis Schroeder. No, it has to be Austin Reeves. But how many of you believe in Austin Reeves? I believe in Austin Reeves. You can check my Twitter. I said in December that the Lakers need to embrace it and start him. But is Austin Reeves going to be enough to be the decision, the deciding factor when you have Luke Kennard shooting 47% from deep? Is he going to be enough when you have, you know, Desmond Bain shooting 44% from deep? Is it going to be enough when you have Jaron Jackson Jr. shooting 39% from deep? And, like, that's what's going to start happening is Memphis is going to start bombing away. L.A. is going to start opening up that defense. John Morant's going to carve them up. And I just do not see the Lakers stopping that. Would you say that this is the first time in – probably almost two decades where LeBron by the common fan is probably like not favored to win the series, but like the common fan is rooting for LeBron to win this series because of just how universally disliked this Grizzlies team has seemingly been. I'm just from a social media standpoint, everyone hates them, man. I love them. I I'm, I'm pro player, like literally 99.99999%. You got to do some, some real bad and dumb things, right. To, to not be pro player. I don't know why people aren't just like celebrating the Memphis Grizzlies because like what they're doing is no different than what Alan Iverson and Stefan Marbury did. Right. Let me express myself the way I want to express myself, play the game with the passion that I love the way I've learned how to play it. Like, like, that's what they're doing. And if you don't find that entertaining, then it's just probably because your team isn't as entertaining. Right? That's, that's how I view it. Yeah. The Heat are very, very boring, so you're probably right. Wait, Chris, be honest Be honest with me. You were a fan of uh, Dylan Brooks looking a little bit like Cat Williams. That was something that you were a fan of, whatever that. Oh, uh, absolutely. I, I For entertainment purposes, yes, it's hilarious. Like, so, so historically, because we, we, we are in a transitionary period and like a lot of people tend to forget. And the reason why is we were spoiled, right? Normally we, we don't get a San Antonio Spurs followed by a Golden State Warriors. We get a San Antonio Spurs followed by one championship, maybe a back-to-back and then maybe another, but we go through five, six, seven years of basically a lull period. I mean, we went from the, the Spurs to the Warriors like that. And then in between that, we had the glory of LeBron James. So we literally have had 20 years of excellent basketball. We didn't used to have that, right? We we, we didn't. And, and what Memphis was able to do was interject another layer of personality, 
So now we're going to start seeing some of these other younger players push the league into the new era. And like the Memphis Grizzlies, I think, will go down as being the antithetical Miami Heat. But you're not going to be able to tell the story of the NBA in this generation, in this transition era, without ending with Heat culture and beginning with like the Grizzlies gritty way, right? Because that that's that's the dichotomy. The Heat were crowned as the consistent winning franchise, right? The, the, the ending model, the same with the Warriors, the same with the Spurs. The Grizzlies aren't about that. The Grizzlies are about having fun. That's what they're trying to do. And I'm, and I'm, I'm about that. I think it's a good look. I think it pisses people off too, and I find that funny. I, I just yeah. think like they I don't know they talk a lot and um you know I, I think for people they want you to, they listen we could be in the wrong about this I think a majority of people want you to talk after you've won and the truth is you can talk whenever you want because that is part of the sport you know part of the you have to be incredibly confident to be an NBA player so if you want to talk trash no worries just go out and do it and I guess my worry about this series you mentioned with the Knicks Cavs you were kind of leaning Knicks and then switched over after the Randall injury. I kind of had that same feeling about this series. I think I would have gone Grizzlies if Steven Adams was healthy. He was a big part of their defensive identity uh, and yeah. their core. And the team just – to me, they, they just don't seem um, as confident, as good when he hasn't been out there. And so I do worry about a Lakers team that can get into the paint um, – while JJJ is a great defender, I think he can uh, be exposed a little bit. And so I worry about uh, a Lakers team that's uh, obviously not where they want to be in the standings, but has had a big turnaround. And I think the X Factor in the series is, is actually Jared Vanderbilt, um, a guy that can really do a lot of things defensively and, and has kind of helped the Lakers on that end. And so I'm expecting a long series, but I think that um, – I think the Lakers are going to pull this one out. There you have it. There's our little playoff preview. Chris, I want to say thank you for taking some time to spend some time with your personal favorite random scrubs like us. You know, we're happy to have you. Any other time you want to get going on here again, just say the word. We'll have you on again. Uh, thanks again one more time to everybody, all every other panelist, Harry, George, Alex. We appreciate all of you guys. And thank you again for spending some time with your favorite random scrubs. Take care and be good people. Need a stop and a rebound. For you. For three. Oh, my. That was the Random Scrub Heat Podcast.